All right, guys, welcome to the sixth class and final class, actually, for kind of our introduction to evangelism. Um, appreciate, guys, this last six weeks, um, because as you guys talk, this means that um, we get more and more of these ideas kind of floating around, um, and it allows me to um, also take less notes, but that's here nor there. But I, I appreciate, guys, everything that we've talked about this last six weeks. I'm going to try to summarize what we've talked about um, as we get towards the end of this class. Um, with that said, last week we finished up conversational evangelism. I know most of you are probably thinking, holy cow, we've spent almost three and a half weeks on it, or three weeks on this. But we got it finished, um, and then we jumped into evangelistic styles. And if you remember, there's six evangelistic styles. And if you remember, one of those evangelistic styles was relational. And I said, let's, let's put a pin in that for just a second, and we'll talk more about that later. And what we're going to actually do is we're going to step into that today um, as we progress our um, uh, Dr. North's model and go into kind of a, a smaller circle inside that bullseye. We're going to go into what we call friendship evangelism. So it's, it still continues that thought, that idea that we're going to have to have these conversations and these discussions with, with people we interact with in life. But we're going to move now towards uh, what we call friends. And earlier on, um, a couple classes ago, I, I threw out this idea called uh, the sphere of influence. So think about as you guys interact within your life, think about who, who you have these um, deeper relationships with. And so what uh, Bitten, Randy Bitten, actually in his Everyday Evangelism um, book defines as uh, more meaningful is these are, um, we would know them as these people as well as we know us. They would know us as well as we know them. We have frequent caring contact with them. We have meals together. We spend leisure time together. We support each other in the crises of life. Um, we do risk sharing our deepest beliefs about God, life, spiritual, and reality. So it's it's something more than just a you know casual, hey, how you doing? I, I look at friendship evangelism even as, I would take it as far as um, the folks that we deal with at work. If you guys still go to work and um, have conversations with people at work or the people you have contacts with, you know, I know, you know, Joe across the cubicle from me, you know, he has and a wife, three kids. I'm making it, Joe does not sit across from me, but, you know, I'm making it up. You know, Joe has, you know, a wife and a kid, uh, two kids. They're of this age. He's struggling with this. And I would consider that kind of a friendship conversation because we have, we can have the, that conversation across the <coughs> aisle and we could see where um, we share life together, right? Because I can, I can tell him what's going on in my life with my kids. <clears throat> he can tell me what's going on with his life and his kids. And uh, we, can, we can share some of those, you know, ups and downs of life together. So I would even consider this um, co-workers, excuse me, as part of um, falling inside this, this friendship evangelism. So think, think about the sphere of influence. So, and, and this goes all the way to family. You know, we all deal with family, uh, varying levels of family, you know, immediate family to, to distance family, right? Um, all the way to, it could just be a close friend, you know. Some of us keep in contact with high school friends, you know, or whatever friends we've met along the way. Um, so think of this sphere of influence of, um, obviously you're going to be able to have deeper, more meaningful relationships with folks that you spend more time with. So I think that's where Dr. North kind of draws that line in his book is conversational. It's more of 
you know, the supermarket checkout lady just throwing little nuggets and having conversations and, um, with, with that individual in that five or so minutes you're with them every day to see if they want to continue that conversation to now we're into this friendship. We built this relationship with this individual and now we're having these deeper and more meaningful conversations, right? So with that said, he kind of mimics um, friendship evangelism. Dr. North mimics or uh, he refers to uh, Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32. And he kind of uses this as the, the leaping point for friendship evangelism and uses that as, a, as an example. And as you guys flip there, we'll talk a little bit about the sphere of influence that Randy Beckton, we'll finish up that thought and idea. But Randy Beckton says, if you think in a given life, um, he said that probably an individual can't influence more than about 30 people. And he, he kind of relates that to, if you think about Jesus and his ministry, how many people did Jesus influence with those deep, meaningful relationships, right? He had 12 people that were around him that he would teach, share life's moments with them, and that he could, um, they shared the ups and downs together, those, those 12 individuals. And so he kind of relates that to more of what can we do as an individual. So through his study, he said that as humans... We could do roughly around 30 um, individuals that we could influence and have, um, yeah, be able to have these conversations with in our, in our given lifetime. So with that said, um, let's look at Dorcas and let's look at maybe her sphere of influence and let's talk through a little bit of that. Um, so in Acts chapter 9, I'm going to start and we're going to back up just a little bit. I'm going to start in 32 and I'm going to read all the way to 43. It says, Now as Peter was traveling through um, all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia, or Lydda, where he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived in Lydda and Shannon saw, um, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translates in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abound with deeds of kindness and charity, uh, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with him, and when he arrived, they uh, brought him into the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and um, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. So, as we kind of think about this story, apply it to kind of friendship evangelism, um, what would be some of the traits that uh, Dorcas or Tabitha, we'll call her Dorcas, um, showed in this story? She was well known in the community. She was well known in the community. She definitely had a following, right? When she died, all these people kind of ran up and, and started talking about uh, Dorcas stories. What else? 
was kind. She was kind. Yes. Um, she was giving. And giving. She was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, right? She continually did. Yeah, and so she used these acts of service, right, as ways to kind of grow her sphere of influence, maybe we'll call it. <clears throat> and how do you think, or what do you think her, her was her circle of influence? I mean, what do you think the impact of what she did, how, how do you think it affected folks? She obviously was a believer. The local church was very touched by her to the point where they asked for an apostle to come bring her back to life. Yeah, she's obviously a believer, right? And so when she died, I mean, that right there is just... If she didn't have much influence on people, would they waste the effort to go find Peter? The Peter, Paul, I think it's Peter. Would they uh, go waste the effort to go find Peter to go bring her back alive? No. Right? So that right there kind of tells you she had some kind of influence over these individuals. They wanted to bring her back to life. You wonder if, if they really sent for him to bring her back to life or just to come and pray for her or what? Because I don't think Peter had ever done that before, had ever brought anything oh, that, to anybody. Back. That's a fair point. That is a fair point. I, you, you know, I, and it worked out that way, which is wonderful. Right. I, mean, I don't, but I was just thinking, did they really send him to go get her to bring her back to life? That's a fair, I mean, that's a very fair point. We don't know. We just said that they sent to go get Peter, right? And so you're right. So Peter just kind of made it, made it happen. So, what happened when Peter got there? Well, the people pretty much explained to him why he was there, all the good things he'd done, all the clothes he'd made and stuff, and said, this is, this is some of the reasons why we've asked you to be here. What they wanted done, like I said, we don't really quite know that. Right. But they did show... Made the coats, made all the garments for him and stuff. So this is what she does. This is why we love her and why we ask you to come here to do what you can. <laughs> and if you think about that, death sometimes in funerals brings back what? Memories and thoughts of the person that has deceased, right? Mm -hmm. And this was just a, an awesome showing of, of Dorcas's charitable kindness that she had done throughout her life, right? Look, I got this garment. Hey, look, I got this garment. I made this garment, right? All these people kind of surround Peter. Um, I don't know. If I was Peter, I might have been overwhelmed by that. Maybe that's why he did it. Maybe that's why he, well, we well, we don't know his intentions, but you know, maybe that's why he, he, he raised um, Dorcas from the dead. Because what was the ultimate um, end game of Dorcas coming back alive? She would still have that influence. She still had that influence. And also it says Probably in 42, it became all known over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So the Lord even used that as a catapult into getting more Christians to follow, right? And so, um, you know, I think when I read this story, um, you know, her, her sphere of influence was was large because it just of, of I won't want to call it small acts, but of kind acts, right? Um, she took a hobby that she enjoyed. And she figured out a way to turn that into a charitable activity for God. Um, I work at work. I live with. Um, I live. I work with uh, lots of uh, of people that are super talented. And one, um, 
I walk into her office and she she loves to crochet. Oh, she loves to do everything crafty. I mean, she's she's crazy talented. But she's always crocheting something, and she happens to be one of the um, executive assistants for one of our squadron directors. But she's up there, she's crocheting things. I'm like, hey, what are you crocheting today? You know, in the fall time, it's always a pumpkin. The springtime, she was crocheting little gnomes. Um, I, who knows what she's doing for Valentine's? Probably some kind of hardish thing. But but what is she's not keeping those? She's doing those and she's giving those out to folks. You know, as just these are Linda Linda gifts, and it's it's really and she's super talented. Um, she's been doing. She's somewhere in her sixties, and she's been doing this for probably close to sixty years. Um, super talented lady, but she does that. She gives them away. She doesn't make them to keep for herself. She gives those away, and that's just a talent that, as we all have varying talents in here. Um, how can we turn those talents into something to say, hey? How can we glorify God with our talents? Let's put it that way. How can we change the conversation to Christ? You guys all know this about me. If you don't, I'm shocked, but I love to take pictures. <gasps> Big shocker, right? And so I love to go climb up mountains. I love to go take sunrise, sunset photos. I love just to take, you know, my theory is if God's going to put it in front of my eyes, why not take a picture of it, right? And then I love to post those, and I love to somehow, some way, tie that back to God. You know, God makes pretty things. God's beautiful. This is a very peaceful, tranquil, you know, time that I got to spend in self-reflection. You know, I like to somehow tie that back to God and maybe steer that conversation towards God for individuals. You know, what, what, do, how, what other talents do we have that we can do that, right? And sometimes um, we can get down, downtrodden and, you know, I'm, I'm not as good as this person. I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as good as this person. And, you know, woe is me. I'm not going to do anything. But, you know, it, you can use Dorcas as an example. Um, David does it actually as an application in one of his, um, in his commentary of Acts that I really loved. You know, think of the disciples that they sent to go talk to Peter. We don't know what their talents were, but did they have two legs? Yeah. Did they go walk to go find Peter? Yeah. Can we all walk? Pretty much, right? Can we go talk? Do we have a mouth to talk? Yes. Can we go talk? Did they tell Peter about it? Yes. Did they bring Peter there? You know, evangelism doesn't take a whole, whole lot to do. Um, we all have legs. We all have mouths. We all have life experiences. We just need to share them. And I think that's a really cool idea because it's the thought I'm going to bring in, in the conclusion of this class is, and I'll, I'll disclaimer, I did not title this class, but I love the title of this class, As We Go. And I just told you I love to take photos. So you guys, it's, it's somewhat comical when um, I get ready the night before, I'm, I know I'm going to take photos because I have a little backpack, and so I'm packing not just a camera and a lens, I'm packing my long lens, I'm packing my, uh, my uh, macro lens, I'm packing my um, portrait lens if I want to take a photo there, I'm packing my off-board flash just in case I need to take some kind of photo that needs additional lighting, I'm packing a tripod, I'm packing over the cleaning supplies just in case my lenses are dirty. I need to clean some dust off of them. And at the end of the day, I pretty much have like a 30, 30 35 pound backpack with tripod that I'm lugging with me. A couple of you guys have gone on hikes with me. And um, I've learned, <laughs> the benefit of it is I've learned how to navigate and stay balanced with a 30 pound back, backpack, you know, on my back without falling many times. But, um, but... Evangelism is completely different. What do I need to take with me when I go evangelize? Virtually nothing, right? As I go, when I take photos, 
I have to lug 30 pounds of stuff with me and I have to think about it. What am I going to take? Am I going to run into this situation, run into that situation, run into this situation? I'm adding more stuff to my backpack. As we evangelize, though, we're just taking life experiences. We're telling people about Christ. It's all up here. It's nice, nice and neatly packed into our brain. You know, we might take a Bible with us if we need to. Um, so we might have a Bible with us, but, you know, Bibles come a lot on these two nowadays, right? And, um, you know, I have this with me at all times. <clears throat> so really, how much additional equipment do I need to bring? Not, not a whole, whole lot. And it, it's just kind of neat from that aspect of um, it doesn't take a whole lot. It just takes us to get out of that mindset of woe is me. I'm not as talented. We are. We're all talented. We all have life experiences. And I've thought about this since I was younger of, um, you know, we have people that have gone through um, divorce, divorces um, as kids. You know, they've experienced, they've experienced their parents go through divorces. So as they grow up and continue in their life, they're going to be able to reach a set of folks that I will not be able to reach. My parents did not go through a divorce. I do understand that it's sad, but outside of that, that level, I don't understand anything else that happens in there. All the arguments that happen maybe behind the scenes, all the anxieties, all the just different emotions that occur, but they do. And they can have those conversations with people that are experiencing it now to help bolster their faith, help um, maybe introduce God into those situations. Addictions. People all have varying amounts of addictions. Um, I, I, I don't have an alcohol addiction, so I, I'm going to hear someone, you know, that says, I have alcohol addiction. I'm going to know that it's hard because it's chemically up and in there, but, you know, Jeremy has stated many, many times, you know, his struggle with alcoholism over the years. He is going to have a level of understanding of alcoholism that I will never, ever have, um, unless maybe I jump into the addiction, but um, <laughs> hopefully not, right? But, um, but he, he's going to be able to reach people at a whole different level than where I can reach people, right? Does that make any sense? And so that's what's so unique about evangelism is we all have life experiences, different life experiences, and we're all going to approach this a different way. So we are all multi-talented, and we have the tools that we need to go evangelize. We just need to go do it, right? And we, as we factor in this whole sphere of influence that Randy Beckham kind of talks about, you know, how, how, do we, how do we end up, how do we do it, essentially? And he kind of lays out, well... He lays out a, a, a path of, of how he would do it. Actually, I think Dr. North does, um, of how he would do that. But before we get into that, I want to bring up one thing that's, that was mentioned in his Everyday Evangelism book, um, Randy Beckham, Beckham's book, and get your thought on it. Um, the, the title is How People Become Christians. And it says, George Hunter's extensive research suggests that the gospel spreads along social network of living Christians. The data he and others have collected on how people become Christians make an enormous contribution to our understanding and helps um, form our strategies. So there's a, it's either a person or a publication that says, When Arn reports that in America today, between 75 and 90% of new church members surveyed report that a friend or a relative was the factor most responsible for their coming to church. Webs of common kinship the larger family, or common friendships, which are friends and neighbors, or common associates, special interest groups, work relationships, recreational associates, are still the means by which most people become Christians today. Church consultant Lil Scholl's 25 years of research show that two-thirds to three-quarters of all new church members 
are, resp are responsible, I'm sorry, try that again. Um, Two-thirds to three-quarters of all new church members are responding to an invitation from someone in their kinship or friendship network. So when you read that, what, what do you guys, what, what sticks out to you guys? We need to be looking for those people that might interest us. Michelle said that we're the influence. Do you guys still believe? I mean, some of this, like, I mean, all transparency, Everyday Evangelism, I think, is a 1997 book. And, ever, and Evangelizing Your Community is like a 2007 book. So some of these are a little dated. But do you think that research is, still holds true today? Michelle? I do. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I was working with a professor at the University of Tulsa, and we were doing autopsies together. And there was about, I don't know, three of us in the room, and um, we each had. <coughs> we each had our cadaver. Gotcha. And, trying to find out the COD, and he said to me, and it shocked me, he said, I'm going to assume you're a Christian, right? And I looked at him, and I said, yes, I am. He was calling, why do you ask? He said, because you're the only person here that hasn't said a curse word during this entire time. Oh, oh there you go. And I was like, okay, well, they were going through my head. It wasn't even something, I really didn't even notice anybody else saying anything. I don't think anybody else noticed me. We were just working on you know, trying to find the cause of death for these mm -hmm. uh, Jane and John Doe's and just out of the blue he was just like you know he was a really weird guy but he was like, you know, I'm just gonna assume that you're a Christian and I was like I am. Yeah. I got defensive for a second. I was like why do you ask? And he said, Do you know the only person here that hasn't seen this before? Yeah. Like about to be the punchline to a joke or, you know, the defensive thing, right? Well, for this guy, I probably was the punchline for a joke many times. <laughs> <laughs> this man, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just didn't realize that if I'm not saying anything negative, bad, curse, cursey, whatever you call it, yeah, curse I, was, um, I was an influence. Yeah, no, I, I, obviously, yeah, because, I mean, I've been in conversations where people have cursed in front of me and, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, okay, let's move on, right? type thing because um, they know that I don't like to curse and so you're right you know just um, how much of an influence are we on people that we see every single day um, I always joke with not joke I'm serious with the kids especially at camp and everywhere else um, and I've been impressing this upon our kids um, little eyes are always watching you right and um, it's very very important on what you do and how you interact because you're gonna have these little mimickers behind you well as we get older those eyes, you know, they're still watching us. They just might be from taller people or maybe older people, maybe younger people, but they're still watching us, right? And so we still have an influence on some folks that we deal with every single day. And, um, and yeah, totally 100% agree, Michelle. I don't really think that he was saying that complimentary to me. I think but he noticed. He noticed, and I think maybe later hmm. on I might have been a few jokes. Probably for multiple reasons, but, um, mm -hmm. but I did notice that um, some of the other younger people, because I was probably the oldest, 
world was ending there, and they, um, some of the other people were a lot quieter after that. So, I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. Yeah. But we're going to live our life like we're supposed to live it, no matter what, right? We're going to be the light. What else? Anything, any other thoughts? on? And every time I read that, I, the, the scripture in my mind, I mean, if you look at it, looking at the statistics, anywhere from 66% to 90% of people who come to church today um, starting a relationship um, from a response to an invitation to come to church. Um, I, I took kind of an informal... Um, <clears throat> poll a couple classes ago to say who, who grew up in the church versus who, um, who did not. And, um, and so definitely a lot fewer um, folks who did not grow up in the church um, are in the class today. Most of us have grown up in the church. But if you think about it, um, does this, for those that didn't grow up in the church, does this reflect your story at all? Did you respond to an invitation from a friend or did you come, um, you know, finding, finding church um, yourself? I mean, that happens as well. People that change religious affiliations uh, are more likely to do that when they move to a new community than at any other time, unless they have a crisis in their lives. So when we are have friends who have moved to the community, if we see that as an opportunity for them to be looking for something, especially if we have a relationship with them in the public schools and we can mention what our kids do at church, and that's an opportunity. <clears throat> we don't see opportunities very well. Uh, most, of my, uh, most of my fellowship is with members of the church at Eastside. Uh, I do not have a lot of friendships with people who are not Christians my only other point of contact is people that uh, live in the neighborhood, and I do know some of them, but uh, we sort of need to have some friends outside of Absolutely. our church family because we are already here and we have similar beliefs. Not, not the same, but similar beliefs. But if we talk to people who are new in the community, uh, some churches have taken pies to people when they move into a community. Very effective. Sort of a silly little thing, but it's actually effective because they have moved from another church somewhere else maybe, and they, there's some things they were wondering about. But if you, when they're coming to a new community, invite them to a different church, you have an opportunity there. It's an act of service. You give them a pie and you start a conversation. And that's a very good point. I mean, how do we... Go, you know, Jesus says, let's go into the world. How are we going to go into the world if all we spend our time with is with Christians, right? And so these are opportunities where we can go affect people. So thanks, Wes, for that segue. So um, Dr. North talks about as we practice this friendship evangelism, here's some steps that we can go to, go through um, as we kind of build up our strategy of how we want to do this. So among your friend group, choose three or four from your uh, friend group or maybe one or two families to focus your efforts on. Because if you think about it from the perspective of, let's say you deal with 15 families, you don't have the time in the day for you to deal with 15 families. So down-select that to a couple families. Um, and think of um, think of the families where they are. You know, Are they new to the community? Maybe this is a time where they're going to shift maybe their religion. Um, 
are they have they been having more conversations about spiritual matters with you? Um, maybe that's a family you want to focus on. So where are they in their life, and where where can you be most effective? And then after you make that decision, make a commitment to pray every day for those families. Pray for your relationships. Pray for opportunities for you to be able to um, introduce some spiritual things into the, into the conversation. Um, and then, third, make a commitment to think um, of any way that you can do to help improve those um, relationships and act on it. So give them a call. See how they're doing. Meet, meet your friend for a, for a coffee or maybe a shopping trip or go to an event together, a sporting event or some kind of other event. Get your families and um, theirs together. Do a, do a meal. Do a game night. Go to a picnic. Um, go fishing together. Um, things like that. If I'm going to make time and effort to continue to build those relationships. And while you're doing those activities with them, figure out ways that you can fit in spiritual matters with them. You know, talk about what I've done at church. Talk about maybe the um, you know Jack's lesson the previous, previous um, week. It's about fasting this week, so I don't know how, how well it's going to transcend if you're eating meal. Talking about fasting, but we'll see. Um, but you know, pick pick a topic um, about you know. Here's what we've talked about. Here's an activity that we've done. Um, and then let your uh, this is the fourth topic or fourth point. Let your friends see your Christian commitment um, at work in your life. So you be the light of the world. You be the salt, right? You be the example. Um, and then look for an opportunity just to invite them to church. We do a lot of things, guys, from kid, kid activities to um, adult activities. We have VBSs. Um, we do LCC right now. would be a good helping people on to learn about uh, Christ in the book, uh, book of Matthew. Um, we do, um, you know, Jack's been doing some really awesome topics lately, you know, um, that um, you could pull people in about and say, hey, come to church. Come, come listen to our preacher talk about this. Um, you guys, throughout the weeks, you guys do a lot of Bible studies, women's classes, ladies' classes, Golden 60s. You know, there's an opportunity to invite people to, to church to these Bible studies um, and get them involved that way. So find a way to invite them to church. And then finally, share your spiritual story. I'm not going to jump on my soapbox like I did last week. If you guys missed it, go online, listen to last week's class. I did a probably five-minute diatribe about how we need to share our story. But... In short, um, hopefully we all practiced our story, or they're thinking about how we're going to practice our story. But, you know, as humans, we love stories. Um, if you think, in, in my lifetime, if you guys remember Reader's Digest, anybody, anybody? You know, we always loved Reader's Digest. Why? Because it told us a story, right? And I can remember sitting in lots of um, waiting rooms for one of two reasons, for the highlights and then for the Reader's Digest, right? So I'd always do the find a thing in the highlights book, but then... The Reader's Digest, because we like stories as humans. You know, Paul tells us his conversion story lots of times in Acts. You know, we just like to hear what our story, people like to hear what our story is, and they're going to ask us eventually, why, why do you do what you do? And we need to be ready to do that. And then eventually, at some point, we need to encourage our friend about making a decision about Christians, about being um, taken on Christ. And so that that's going to lead up to future classes. I'm not going to jump into that um, we have a class coming up of how to teach Christ to anybody, and um, that could be um, discussed in that one. So, guys, I have less than five minutes now because of the bell ring. So, um, I know as we started this series, I said that we're going to talk a lot about 
um, as individuals as Christians, and then as a church, we can get involved in evangelism. Um, I really didn't get much into the church aspect of it because of one of a couple reasons. Um, some aspects of, of, of evangelism as a church, we do really, really well. Um, and I think of that as um, the outward-facing part, the public image of our church. So Dr. North talks about we need to have a good public image. So if you think about that, think about um, our building, the appearance of our building, the signage out front, the websites, how we treat visitors when they come in from the time they step through the door until the time they leave, um, how we serve our community, how we send local mailings out to people around us to say, hey, we're here. We do all of that. We do it very, very well. Um, so I, I kind of left that aspect of it out. But here are some things as a church that we could possibly do um, and, and get better at. And how often um, or how do we do a quick follow-up on every local visitor that comes to some kind of special event or worship service. So think about it from the perspective of, um, man and I attended a church uh, multiple years ago, <laughs> and I wanna say it was on a Sunday, and then by Monday or Tuesday, we got no less than what, six or eight, you know, thanks for coming cards. <laughs> I mean, and then they came in the next day too, a couple more, and I'm like, man, they're really happy that we came, right? And they were just simple. So what? I think they called us too. Let's yeah, they did. They did call us once. So they had a really good follow-up ministry going on in that aspect. You know, thanks for coming and talking with us or visiting us. Um, and so, how? And I know we have some evangelists or some ministry leaders in here as well. But think about um, people that come to the clothing giveaway. Do we have a follow-up with them? Think about people that come to the Thanksgiving meal. Do we have a follow-up, you know, mechanism with them? Uh, people that come to Trunk or Treat, can, you know, is there a way that we can do a follow-up with them just to say thanks for coming and um, you know we're here for your needs? Um, have we developed a strategy to convert um, those that are non-Christians that attend our service? Um, you know, I'm sure Jack and, and Tracy are all um, involved in that, but you know, uh, do we know folks that are non-Christians that attend? Have we, have we went and had those conversations with those individuals? Um, have we developed a strategy to recover those who are strayed from church? We know people that have left Eastside over the years maybe aren't attending anymore. Have we thought about calling them or visiting with them to say, hey, where are you guys attending now? What are you guys doing? Have you thought about coming back to Eastside um, and having those conversations? Um, I, Dr. North mentioned starting the community Bible, Bible class or a secret class. Um, you know, and maybe we could do that to kind of meet, answer some of the questions of, of the community. Uh, maybe we can use that as the Bible study throughout the week, you know, invite them to something like that and see how, how things start. Um, whole classes that serve the needs of non-believers. So we do a lot of biblical classes, which we should in these time periods, but have we thought about going back to a time, um, oh, probably five, six years ago, we talked about marriage classes, parenting classes. We talked about addiction classes. Actually, I don't think we've got addictions, but you know, parenting and marriage classes, baby addiction classes, things that are, you know, that have some kind of biblical teachings in them. Have we thought about meeting, meeting with those individuals? So there, there are ways that the church can get involved, and most importantly, um, as we finish class, the church can be used as a support structure because as an evangelist. You're going to go into the world, you're going to continually get um, told no, but that's okay, right? But over time, that can affect us. But why is the church here? The church is here to help encourage and build and strengthen each other up. So, um, you know, we can help, we can go with individuals to go evangelize together as a team. We can go, um, if we want to do it as a single individual, that's fine as well. But we're here to help and support and strengthen each other and spend time together. But as Wes mentioned earlier, 
you know, we also need to go reach out into the world as well. Don't live in a bubble of just Christians and Christianity with same thoughts. Take the idea of evangelism with you as you go and live your life. Be willing and able to share your story with those individuals that you meet. And as you continually do that, you're going to um, build up a, a habit, and it's going to come more and more naturally to you. And if you want some more ideas, I, I suggest that you go talk to Steve Surrett. Steve Surrett has made this um, his mission, and he is really good at it. And he can give you ideas of how he does it in his life as well. So with that, guys, thank you so much for the sixth class. Um, I, I went over a little bit. Um, next week, we start off again with uh, Mr. David Roberts in the back, and he's going to get you for the next nine weeks. Right, David? So looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, guys.